This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and enter the promo code FOOL. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, September 21st, and we're talking about some hot new consumer tech releases from some big tech companies. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, it's nice to chat again. It's been a little while. Yeah, it's going well. Happy iPhone Day. Happy iPhone Day. I wish that we could say that this was deliberate uh, and that we wanted to do a roundup of consumer tech as these products were being unveiled and released on the same day or in the same week. That is not quite the case. Uh, we had to pre-tape an episode last week because I was traveling for a wedding. But I am happy to have you on to talk through one of our favorite product segments, uh, the iPhone. And we're also going to touch on some recent releases from Amazon uh, in what turned out to be a like Christmas morning type hardware release from them. Why don't we talk Apple stuff first, though? Okay, so today they launched the iPhone XS and XS Max. Uh, last week is when they unveiled the XS, XS Max, and XR. Uh, but yeah, so today is launch day, and as usual, people are lining up and having camping out overnight at Apple stores all around the world to make the the big media spectacle in the headlines. So as a quick refresher, the XS is a successor to the 10, has the same thousand dollar starting point, starting price point. 10s max is basically has the same stats as the 10s but it has a massive 6.5 inch display and starts at 1100 uh, both now come in a 512 gigabyte storage option which pushes pricing even higher than it was last year so for example a maxed out 10s max uh, costs 1450 dollars, which is more than an entry-level macbook pro yeah it's kind of wild you know as we've seen and we're going to touch on this later the Screen sizes and the storage options for these iPhones get bigger and bigger. Um, there has been some pricing expansion for the line, uh, and it is kind of wild to think that you know if, if you're going on the budget side, you can you can buy like three or four laptops for that price. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but yeah. So these you know these new flagship phones are really the best they have to offer, uh, but at the same time, you know the spec improvements are pretty incremental compared to last year's ten. So you know if you bought a ten last year, you know like I did, it's not really worth upgrading to a ten S because you know the tiny performance improvements. And with what these phones cost these days, I mean, it's just not worth it. But I mean, if you bought a ten and you really just need or want a bigger screen, then maybe you could justify going for an. You know, tennis max because that's a little bit more differentiated and it's a much larger device. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, oh, you know so that's uh, that's the big news today. I do understand that you have one of these devices coming to your home. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I'm waiting. My, we ordered one for my wife, so she, you know, we basically take turns upgrading each year. So she's on a seven plus, <clears throat> and so she ordered a, a 10s max in the new fancy gold color. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's about the same size as the old plus models, except now it's all display instead of having the the kind of forehead and the chin bezels. Yeah, that's a clever setup that you have with your wife. It it gives you the chance to have your hands on the new iPhone every single year it comes out without having <laughs> the expense of personally laying it out uh, and paying for it uh, every single time. It's a little bit easier to negotiate that. Uh, I don't Instead quite have, have that luxury yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I am still working with a success, which which I feel like a, a dinosaur for having this. Um, but I think given the upgrades and everything like that, uh, and and what I'm experiencing with my phone performance wise, I'm probably going to be upgrading. To to the 10 and not going quite to the newest edition just because of some of the reasons that you you mentioned earlier. Uh, I teed this up a little bit, but 
What we're seeing with the screen expansion, storage expansion, and what that's doing for pricing, this is really a continuation of the strategy that Apple has been working with for the last couple of years. And I think increasingly, unit volumes are not the focus, and average selling prices are what's really driving all the iPhone revenue growth. The company is continuing to pull the levers that they have to make that happen. Right, exactly. So basically, all iPhone revenue growth over the past year has been <clears throat> entirely attributable to price increases as opposed to unit growth. To put you know some hard numbers to it, if you look at the past three quarters compared to the you know the comparable quarters a year prior, iPhone units are up 0.4 percent, you know about 170 million, but iPhone revenue has jumped 15 percent to about 130 billion, and ASPs hit a record high of 796 dollars um, back on. In December, on the four, in the fourth quarter, you know, so we're talking about almost eight hundred dollars, and you know, with the iPhone pricing going even higher, there is a clear path to, to to even more upside here. But the curveball is, you know, what happens with iPhone XR, which is not launching today. Uh, iPhone XR launches in a month, and it looks like an incredibly strong product, as it basically offers the same vision of the smartphone that Apple outlined last year, except at a much more affordable price. I mean, the main parts being you know the edge-to-edge -edge display with no bezels, no home button. A true depth camera with a face ID and all the things that, that enables. Uh, and the 10R also has the same uh, A12 Bionic chip, but that phone starts at 750 as opposed to 1000. And you know the others, a lot of the other kind of spec differences are pretty minor. You know, it's like a lower resolution LCD panel instead of an OLED panel. <clears throat> There's no 3D touch. It's slightly less water resistant, like a tiny bit. Uh, it's aluminum instead of stainless steel. There's a single rear camera instead of a dual camera. But it does come in six colors, which are fun and people will you know, inevitably love because it offers greater personalization. So if that phone really commands really strong demand, you know, since it starts at a lower price, that could offset any of the, the upside that you know investors are hoping to see in ASPs. And I guess this is something that they have to be doing, right? Because not everyone is going to be willing to lay out $1,100 for a phone. You know, it used to be that the different storage tiers would get you somewhere in the neighborhood of what, like six fifty to eight fifty or something like that for a phone. And even though there was a pricing spread, it was a relatively tight one. You know, as you start reaching up to eleven hundred, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars for a phone, it makes sense that you have to to really build out the lower part of your line, the lower priced point on your line. Right, exactly, and that's sort of one thing, key point they drove home is like we want to be basically bring this vision of what we think a smartphone should be to more affordable price points so that more people can ex access this technology and have it. And, you know, I mean, the True Death camera system, uh, which are, I was kind of surprised they brought that to the, to the line because that's such a cool feature that you would think that they would kind of keep it exclusive to the, the highest end phones. But, I mean, those modules aren't super expensive. I mean, they're like $5 in, in terms of the, the content inside those for some of these sensors. So it's not like a big cost driver. So they certainly are, can, can justify bringing it to the more affordable phones because it's not going to, like, Really hurt their profitability. I was just kind of surprised strategically because you, know, you could get a lot more people to buy the higher end phones if you kept that feature to only to them. But I mean, good for them though. I mean, this technology is really great. So getting it to more people is you know certainly a good thing too. So we also got an update on what is going on with the Apple Watch segment. We don't have as much clarity into what's going on with that business segment, uh, but at least we got an update on the product side with what the company is going to be doing. Right, so they also unveiled Apple Watch Series Four, which arguably was the most exciting thing they unveiled uh, last week, and that also launches today. Uh, demand seems to be pretty strong for this this new model uh, because shipping times are already really you know pushing out quite a bit, uh, and this generation really represents the most meaningful redesign they've had on this product 
uh, ever since launching it three years ago in 2015, has a thinner case, a, a much larger display with rounded corners uh, uh, and smaller bezels. So you can see a lot more information on this uh, on your watch now. And the headline new feature is they've added electrical heart sensors to the bottom of the watch and with embedded into the digital crown that allow you to take an ECG from your wrist, which is pretty wild. Because if you think about like standalone ECG machines, they can cost thousands of dollars. Of course, like the, the wolf, more full featured ones have more contacts that you put on your skin and they have greater accuracy. So one thing that I'm really curious about is you know, what the accuracy of these ECG readings looks like. Because I've seen some uh, some heart and health experts already express some skepticism around how reliable and useful this data will be. Um, and it's really too early to call because you know, that ECG functionality is not going to be available at launch. The Apple says that they're going to release it later through a software update. So we can't really say yet for sure how it's going to, you know, play out in terms of accuracy and reliability. Um, so that's some, definitely something to keep an eye out for. But, you know, the user that, that really value taking the ECG and are buying it for that feature, which, you know, people with health issues or older people, um, it's going to be incredibly important for Apple to get that part right. Yeah, and actually, this is a, a part of functionality, device functionality, that other wearables companies have struggled with. Uh, I know that, I, I want to say it was Fitbit, I'm not 100% sure, um, had a dedicated heart rate monitor um, and there were some issues with the monitoring that was going on with that at one point. Um, this is this is definitely, as healthcare functionality goes, a little bit of a tougher nut to crack. I think it's good to see that these companies are getting into the space a little bit more as you build out functionality. I think the use case comes um, very clear, especially for a lot of people that are doing some sort of disease management or condition management and and want to be able to use the device for more than just communicating. Right, exactly. And I mean, healthcare is so important that people make really important medical decisions based on the data that you give them from these things. So, I mean, not not that Apple's anything like Theranos, <laughs> and they're completely different companies, and obviously Apple's a very ethical company, but, you know, Theranos, you know, they did all this unethical stuff, and, like, people were acting on these, you know, really terrible blood test results, and they just didn't care. And, the, you know, like, the point just being that people are, are going to make important health decisions, so you really need to make sure you get this right. And I'm, and I'm confident that Apple is doing everything they can, but we just have to, you know, there's not a lot of public peer-reviewed data on this, on how these things perform. So, you know, we'll just have to see how they do. But I, I, I'm pretty confident they're going to they're do it, because they have the money to kind of invest right in developing it properly and make sure that they can, you know, really get this to the point where people aren't going to be making, like, bad decisions. But it's also worth pointing out that they're also pushing Apple Watch pricing higher, too. Because now the new models start at four hundred dollars, and if you want a cellular, it start, they start at five hundred. So that's up from three twenty nine and four hundred respectively last year. So you know there there is some more upside here for ASPs, uh, particularly considering the fact that you know with prices going up and demand looking pretty good, I mean the watch business looks pretty promising right now. Thinking about all the different pricing uh, mechanics that are going on here, Evan. Do you, do you get a sense that maybe this isn't a lever that Apple is going to be able to continue to pull indefinitely? You know, I look at what's going on on the iPhone side in particular, and you know, the watch side to a certain extent, and the idea that people will pay, you know, like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars for a phone, <laughs> it, it, you know, at a certain point, it gets a little ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some type of you know ceiling somewhere on what people will pay, but I do think that Apple's going to keep testing and like trying to push that limit and. and to try to find out where that limit is. And, you know, I think a part of it is that, you know, unit volumes have been kind of plateauing for a couple of years now, and, I, and Apple knows that. I mean, the smartphone market is so mature, the products are so mature and so good that, you know, upgrade cycles have been getting longer. So, I mean, what, 
that's their next best you know lever to pull to you know kind of try to squeeze growth out of it. if they know that people are going to be holding on to their phones for it used to be everyone upgraded every year every two years but now we're seeing people push that to two or three years and, and maybe even three to four so you know they want to, that's kind of a, it's like a different way for them to pull the same amount of money out of you on an annualized basis you know because if you buy a 1500 phone every three years versus a thousand dollar phone every two years they're still getting about 500 bucks for you every year you know so i think that's kind of a why they're you know, trying to push the limit on pricing? We'll see how high they can go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you're if you're thinking about how all this factors into the thesis for Apple, you know, so much of our time spent talking about Apple earnings really centers on the services segment, this high margin business that they've really built out to impressive scale. Um, that is certainly going to be a big thing for them. But when the company makes sixty percent of its revenue from one product segment. Uh, the pricing power that they have with that product is ultimately going to drive the business business results, um, and so so I think if you're looking at how these product releases impact the Apple investing thesis, if they're able to continue to find growth in average selling prices with the products that they're releasing, then you know that they're going to be able to post iPhone segment growth, which will be good for the top line. If they hit that ceiling, I think as an Apple investor, that's when you have to be a little worried. But I think another part of the you know the services aspect is you know. That's also another way that they've kind of figured out that they can change the investing narrative and you know really center you know move the thesis away from this iPhone hardware, which of course will always be a big part of the picture. But you know if you, as they've been emphasizing services over the past couple of years, services another big part. Not only is it more profitable, but there's no seasonality to it at all. Like if you look at obviously with consumer products, like you know your your business is very seasonal. You know your fourth quarter you get tons of sales for the holidays, but services it's just there's if you look at if you chart it out which i've done many many times <laughs> there is no seasonality whatsoever it's just a steady just climb up particularly as more as they build more and more subscriptions into this business and you know so i think that's a big part of it too you know so with iphone units kind of plateauing they're they're pushing pricing on iphone to get growth there and also pushing the services narrative Okay, we had a pretty good sense of what Apple was going to be announcing, uh, and so so this part of the rundown was a little bit easier for us to do. In the second half of the show, we are going to switch gears and talk about Amazon's device event, uh, which had some things that could be expected and maybe some things that were a little bit out of left field. We're going to have that discussion in a minute, but before we do, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. Molecule replaces 50 years of antiquated technology. The HEPA filter technology that's been used to clean your air was developed in the 1940s, and there haven't been many major innovations since. Now, Molecule's PECO technology, photoelectrochemical oxidation, goes beyond the HEPA filter system to both capture and eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. That includes pollutants 1,000 times smaller than what the HEPA filter can catch. Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, helps them better cope with their conditions, and significantly reduce their symptoms. One customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to, quote, breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people, and verified by third parties in university labs like the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory. 
It's easy to use and has a clean and sleek design. From the materials used on the device, like its sleek aluminum shell, to a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. The Molecule team sent a model to HQ for us to try out, and the podcast hosts were literally fighting to take it home. Michael Douglas had it for a night, Vincent Shen had it for a night, Chris Hill had it for a night, one of our analysts on the premium side, Jim Mueller, had it for a night and ordered one the next day. That whole episode taught me two things. Folks that work on podcasts at The Fool seem to have a lot of allergies, and two, on top of looking modern and sleek, this air purifier is awesome. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and enter the promo code FOOL. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com and promo code FOOL. All right, Evan, um, the Apple event typically has a lot of fanfare. Uh, I think we are just now kind of getting used to the idea that Amazon, too, has some device fanfare when they launch new stuff. Yeah, they're they're pushing even deeper and deeper into hardware, uh, and so they had an event yesterday, and they, and they announced a ridiculous number of devices. They had fourteen things, including you know one services thing, which we'll touch on later. Uh, fourteen new things to announce compared to Apple's three, <laughs> just you know for reference. And, you know, you know, so they had um, like a bunch of Echo stuff. They ha- they expanded into a bunch of new product categories. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> yeah, so so Amazon went with some stuff that was kind of the next logical step with a lot of their hardware ambitions. And they also unveiled some stuff that kind of seemed like a head scratcher. You want to start with the logical stuff or you want to start with the fun stuff? Uh, let's do the the easy logical stuff that everyone was <laughs> expecting uh, or not expecting but you know makes perfect sense right okay so they had a new echo dot which is their kind of small $50 little puck so a refresh version of that that's supposed to be louder uh, kind of just some, you know standard spec bumps same price has a new design has fabric on the outside the new echo plus which is the bigger one also new fabric design uh, that's their kind of more higher end echo that has smart home functionality same 150 dollars price echo show which is like a their display one but this time it has a much bigger display <clears throat> um, the first version had a seven inch display this one has a 10 inch display looks a lot nicer also fabric design which you're catching the, the trend <laughs> here <laughs> uh, same 230 dollars price so those are kind of like the standard what you know what you expect upgrades uh, then the new stuff, some of the new kind of interesting stuff that we had heard rumors about, so not too surprising, is Echo Auto, which is this little you know thing, dashboard mounted thing you put in your car. Uh, it's fifty bucks. It basically brings Alexa to your car, which is kind of cool because uh, you can ask Alexa to do things while you're driving. A lot of automakers actually integrate Alexa directly nowadays, but this allows people to you know for pretty cheap bring Alexa to your car. Particularly because obviously you don't upgrade your car very often, so you know you're not going to go upgrade your car as soon as your you know your car maker of preference puts Alexa in their newest model. <laughs> yeah, the upgrade cycles on cars are a little different, um, but that seems like something that is truly useful. You know, you are in the car and having a voice-activated, hands-free device um, seems to make a lot of sense, especially if you're driving something that predates the popularity of a lot of that technology. Um, something that is kind of new-ish, but well within the category that they'd been working with, was their new Echo Sub. Right, so that's a, an add-on. So, you know, it's a 6-inch subwoofer, amplifies the base of your Echo setup, and you can actually pair it with you know, multiple Echo devices and get a you know, 2.1 stereo system going. 
Um, and that one's about $130. So, you know, pretty, you know, not, not too expensive. You're kind of what you expect for a standalone sub. They also started offering these new high fidelity music offerings. So there's an Echo Link, which is basically allows you to connect your system to a receiver and amplifier. And there's an Echo Link Amp, which basically includes an integrated amplifier. But same thing, you know, you're streaming high fidelity music. Uh, the Echo Link is $200. Echo Link Amp is $300. So if you look at it, between the, these amplifiers, the sub, Amazon is pushing more into this kind of higher end audio experience, which you know really kind of competes with you know, players like Sonos, who that's what they're known for is this kind of multi-room high fidelity audio. So they're really kind of expanding into all these different areas. Yeah, if you're Sonos and you've been trading on the public markets for all of what two months, a couple months, <laughs> <laughs> a month and a half, you've got to be like. You've got to be kidding me, you know? Um, that was actually something that came up in the show that Vince Shen and Asit Sharma did on Sonos doing a rundown of their S1 prior to their IPO. Listeners, if you want a primer on that, just email in. Um, but they were saying that the big risk for them, the big red flag for this company is what if Amazon continues to invest in this space? What if they continue to get into upper level audio? And what will that do? Because this company has a history. Of entering a space, undercutting the existing competitors out there. You know, Jeff Bezos is famous for saying, "Your margin is my opportunity," uh, and that's exactly what they've done here. I think this Echo Sub comes in at about half the price of a comparably specced Sonos device. Now, it, it's you know, we'll have to see what the audio quality looks like and how they stack up. Uh, audiophiles might still decide. We want the Sonos device, but I think for the lay consumer, something that comes from Amazon connects with all of these other devices that they already have. Uh, that's going to be compelling, especially if it's at a lower price point. Right. I mean, if you look at the broader you know, speaker market, everything is shifting to these smart speakers with virtual assistants like very rapidly. I mean, this this market is like tripling every quarter. You know, I mean, it's just growing so fast. So Sonos now has to you know try to navigate that transition. And yeah, they they have some you know products. They've been kind of introducing them incrementally into their lineup with ha <clears throat> integrating with Alexa, Google Assistant, etc. But for now, I mean, th those products are still a relatively small part of their overall mix. Whereas that's all Amazon does, and Amazon. You know, like you mentioned, I mean, they, they also ha have no problem competing with their partners. So even though Sonos has partnered with them to integrate Alexa, that's not going to stop Amazon from coming into your space and undercutting you <laughs> for with you know much lower prices. And, you know, it might, it might not be as good, but it's going to be good enough. All for right, a lot of people. Let's let's switch gears from the helpful and functional to the frivolous, uh, <laughs> and and talk about some of the more fun devices uh, that maybe surprise some people. Uh, we got two kind of like what the heck things. Uh, one of them is the new Alexa microwave, and the other one is the new Alexa clock. Uh, Evan, will you be buying either one of these? <laughs> no. I mean, there were rumors about this microwave, <clears throat> so they launched this new microwave. It's under their Amazon Basics brand. Uh, it's sixty dollars. It's basically just a microwave that you can control with your voice. It includes a dedicated dash button, so you can order popcorn, which sounds kind of silly to me to have a dedicated button. But the whole thing just sounds kind of silly, and everyone's kind of like, obviously mocking this thing already, <laughs> including me. I'll, I'll be honest, because it's kind of like, why do you need a, a voice-controlled smart microwave? I mean, you're. I'm not going to be upstairs. You have to physically put things in the microwave, obviously. So you, by <laughs> definition, you're standing right there. It's not like I'm going to be upstairs and 
say, hey, Alexa, turn on my empty microwave. Like, it, it just, it's, I'm just kind of struggling to see the real value add here or the use case where people are going to be like, oh, this is really useful. It adds so much convenience to my life. Yeah, I think this one feels a little gimmicky, almost like the kind of thing you would see on like the CES trade floor if you were walking around <laughs> like the, the industry expo. I will say, though, you know, they're knowing Amazon's track record, obviously they've had some misses. Uh, we could look back on this tape four years from now and be like, that was the beginning. You know, like this is this is where they launched into this whole new category that we didn't even know existed. No, no, to be I mean, to be clear, I checked last night, it is already the number one bestseller in the microwave category. Oh my god. I looked gosh. last night. <laughs> and I mean and this is their first home appliance that they've gone, you know, first party hardware on. So like it's probably like you mentioned, this is probably really just the signal of the first step into this home appliance uh, you know, market and of course, they're going to be adding Alexa and voice controls and connectivity you know, to all of anything they do going forward. So I, I would not be surprised if they come out with a blender, a toaster, you know, whatever it is in your kitchen. So yeah, I would not be surprised if they do that in the future. Now, now they've done this. The clock that we mentioned before that costs thirty dollars. Uh, it's kind of a nice minimalist design. Uh, it looks like it's something that would fit into almost any living room. Um, I think the main functionality here, the main use case, is being able to um, visualize timers and alarms. I think it's like relatively simple at this point. Um, again, kind of an odd choice, but to your point about Amazon's strategy of kind of slowly building things, I think back to what they did with Echo and Alexa very early on, and they started with very simple functionality, and I think nailed it in a lot of ways. And then slowly built out the skills and the use cases for this stuff. It would not surprise me if they are kind of putting stuff out there, getting consumers somewhat used to the idea of a smart clock, a smart microwave, uh, and and almost like wading into these more integrated, more smart home uh, devices. Yeah, the the clock is is basically like an accessory that goes with your Echo, right? I mean, if you have an Echo in your kitchen, like I do, and you're setting timer like multiple timers when you're cooking, it it is kind of like frustrating. And I think they've probably heard this feedback from consumers, which is, you know, you don't know where each timer is at if you have multiple timers, and managing this interface with just your voice is a little cumbersome. So being able to visually see the timers, which you know, if you don't, you know, obviously they have Echoes with displays that if you have those, you can see all your timers and see you know what how long these things are. While you're cooking, so I think this is kind of like a cheaper alternative to kind of fill that specific gap in the usage of it. You know, to have that visually represented. So you know, if you're in your kitchen cooking, you can see each timer without having to ask her, which you know is a little bit you know again cumbersome. So big picture for Amazon here. I think this is really them just kind of bolding and underlining a strategy that we have seen them focus on for a while, and that is getting into hardware and getting into people's homes. Uh, you look at the Echo and Alexa push, and and that really has been so big for them as a business because the data has proven out that the more touch points that consumers have with Amazon, whether it's being a Prime member, being uh, an Echo owner, the more that you buy from Amazon. Yeah, so with the original Echo and Alexa, they had this really strong entry point into your house, and they've just been expanding so aggressively since then. And once this is, you know, once you're into the invested into the ecosystem, it's really hard to to break out of that. I mean, we've seen Apple 
make this play so many times in the past. But now that Amazon has kind of got this in with the smart home with Alexa, they're doing the exact same thing, except they're doing it you know much more affordably and they're not trying to make as much money off you. But you know if you outfit your entire home with all these Echo devices and you're spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on all these devices to put all over your home, it's extremely hard to, you know, the switching costs to, you know, move to Google Home or any other smart home platform are so high. And I mean, not that Apple has a really strong presence in the smart home quite yet, uh, which, you know, they've failed on the execution there. But, you know, Amazon is, they have this momentum and they're just, you know, they're investing heavily in, in maintaining that momentum. And they can really afford to do this at cost on the hardware side. Because the benefits are so strong for them, right? So, uh, CIRP, this um, this research firm, puts out this spend study fairly often, and they look at the average Amazon consumer, the average Prime user, and the average Echo owner. The average Amazon consumer spends six hundred dollars annually. The average Prime user spends fourteen hundred dollars annually, and the average Echo owner spends seventeen hundred dollars annually on the platform. So. If you're getting into someone's home at cost, or even making a slight margin on the devices you're selling, if it leads to that type of annual difference, just imagine what it does over the lifetime of that customer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I've never been seen the whole like voice purchase use case, but I know that that does is one thing that's happening. Like there are lots of studies that show a lot of people are buying stuff for their voice because that was kind of the initial obvious thing that Amazon wanted you to do is to buy stuff on Amazon with your voice by talking to Alexa. Um, but that's still a big opportunity. I mean, it's still pretty early for that functionality. And as they build it out and evolve and iterate, um, I think that there is some opportunity there. Yeah. Well, Evan, I think we're going to wrap things there. Thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus@pool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!